Thanks, Bible Church. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this time. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles in the pew racks in front of you, and you can have access to one of those. Uh, if you don't have uh, access to either your own Bible or a pew Bible, uh, there should be most of the text should be on the screen this morning. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, and so flip to your New Testament. You have your Gospels, you have Romans, and then you find First and Second Corinthians. Uh, in your pew Bible, we will be on page 936, and we will find ourselves this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we will read this morning verses 14 through 17 is our main text as we continue on in our series for the new year, a new year, a new you, as we have been looking at some of the resources that God has given us, uh, specifically through the new covenant, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's uh, the, the avenues and the ways that God makes us new people. That's what we've been, and we find ourselves in part five as we look at our new identity, That is who we are in Christ, our new identity, part five of a new year, a new you. I trust that uh, you are there in the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14 through 17. I also trust that you got your uh, labels. Uh, You'll be using those this morning, so hold on to them. Uh, At this time, I'd like for us to read the text in its entirety, uh, starting in chapter 5, starting in verse 14 through 17, and then we'll watch a quick video, and then we'll jump right into our sermon. So uh, let's read this together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Paul says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. From now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And that is indeed God's very word. Let's watch this clip together. You don't know me. 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 What you see on the outside isn't the whole story. Isn't the whole story. Isn't the whole story. What you see on the outside isn't the whole story. I am not defined by the way I dress. I am not defined by my age. By my age. I am not defined by my cancer. By my skin color. I'm not defined by my color. I'm not defined by my hand you could be an eight. So then who am I? Who am I? So then who am I? So then who am I? Uh, who am I? So then who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I am defined by one man. I am defined by one man. One man. By one man. I am defined by one man. I am defined by one moment. I am defined by one moment. By one moment. By one moment. One moment. I am defined by one moment. I am defined by one love. One love. One love. One love. By one love. I am defined by one love. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ. I'm defined by Jesus Christ. 
I am defined by Jesus Christ. So who are you? If I were to ask you that question, what would you say? Who are you? Another way to ask and answer that question is who defines you or what defines you? How do you answer this question? Oftentimes, I think we go throughout the course of life and different people and different circumstances, different events and different scenarios help shape how we answer that question. How we answer the question, who are we? And who defines us? Or what defines us? Oftentimes there are events, there are circumstances, there are good things, there are bad things. But throughout history and throughout time, we eventually define ourselves. We answer that question in numerous ways. Who are you? What would you say? We define it uh, uh, differently. There are a lot of things that uh, help shape and help answer that question. Over time, we eventually uh, define ourselves, and it acts like a label. So you have a label in front of you, and I would guess that many of you would answer that question differently. Who are you? What defines you? Who defines you? I think there are all sorts of things that define you that act essentially as a label. Uh, We can label ourselves oftentimes, but sometimes we are labeled by others. Sometimes we're labeled by circumstances. Uh, Sometimes we are labeled by a personality trait or maybe a psychological state. And so you would answer that question by saying, I am, I'm a comedian. I'm funny. You may answer that question uh, by saying, well, I am, uh, I am shy. Any of you shy uh, out there? That's how I would answer that question. I'm shy. Label myself shy. Maybe you're uh, outgoing. You're talkative. Maybe you define yourself by being an, an aggressive, take charge kind of a person. Maybe you would say you're a, a people pleaser. Maybe you would use the label depressed. That's who I am. I'm depressed. And we label ourselves in such a way. Maybe you would label yourself as, as a rebel. I don't take no for an answer. I do things my way. And that's how you would define yourself. You are a rebel. So there are personality traits that oftentimes label us and define us, psychological states. Also, maybe it's a career. I think oftentimes you men, if I were to ask you that, who are you? You would answer with your career. I'm a farmer. I'm a technician. I'm a cable guy. I'm a pastor. I am a stay-at-home mom. Maybe that's, that's how some of you, ladies in particular, that's, that's your label. That's how you define yourself. Your stay-at-home mom. Maybe, uh, maybe you're a farmer. That's, that's who you are. That's what you do. And so you would use the label a farmer. That's how you would label yourself. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're a mom. We oftentimes label ourselves and identify and define ourselves by our career. Maybe it's not a career. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a skill. Or maybe it's a lack of talent. Maybe it's a lack of skill, like a disability. So maybe some of you young people, uh, junior high kids and high school kids, who are you? Maybe you would use this label. Maybe you would say, I am an athlete. That's, that's what defines you. You're athletic. You're a basketball player. You're a football player. Uh, some of you would say, I'm a bookworm. I'm, I'm academic. I'm smart. And yet some of you, maybe others have labeled you or you've labeled yourself quite the opposite. Instead of being smart, you say, I'm, I'm stupid. That's, that's who I am. That's what people have defined me and labeled me to be. I'm just 
worthless. Maybe you would say I'm a slacker. Maybe you would say I'm a fix-it man. That's, that's who I am. Maybe you would say I'm deaf or autistic or, or how about this one? Maybe you define yourself by a, a, a disability of some sorts like, like dyslexic. And so the label of dyslexic has been thrown upon you and that's how you define yourself. Maybe it's ADHD. Whatever it is, we define ourselves by our personality. We define ourselves by our career. Or we define ourselves by a talent or, or, a, or a disability. Oftentimes, we can define ourselves by a social status or maybe an appearance. And so uh, somebody may say, you, although I hate to say this term, unfortunately, people use it. You are just, you're poor. You're white trash. And maybe that's a label that has been thrown your way. Maybe, uh, maybe you're popular. Maybe you're in middle school or high school and people like you. And so that's who you are. That's how you would define yourself. You're the popular kid. Everybody likes you. And so that label of popular is thrown on you. Maybe, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're not popular. Maybe you're the bookworm. Maybe you're the computer guy. And you've been labeled something different. Maybe you're the nerd, right? And that label has been slapped on you as well. There are all other things. Maybe you're rich. Maybe you're wealthy, and that's how you define yourself. You are well off. Maybe you're attractive. Maybe you're handsome. Maybe you're pretty. And as you've grown up, people have admired you for it, and that's how you have labeled yourself. You're an attractive person, <clears throat> and you know it. Uh, maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're less than attractive in some people's eyes, and so you have been labeled ugly, unattractive, and that has stuck with you for the rest or uh, for uh, most of your life. Maybe, um, maybe it's skinny. Maybe you grow up, uh, grew up hearing, you're a beanpole, right? You're so skinny. Or, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe people have labeled you uh, overweight and that has stuck with you uh, since then. And that's the label that you have been given, overweight. Could be a personality, could be a career, it could be a social status. It could be a sin. It could be a habit, some sort of habit that we define ourselves with or that maybe somebody else defines you with. And so maybe you struggle with alcohol. And so you have garnered the label alcoholic. And that's, that's who you are. And that label gets slapped down there as well. Maybe you're an addict. Maybe you are promiscuous, a cheater, a liar, an adulterer, a gossip, a porn addict, Maybe you are a thief, and that has been the label that you have received. Not only could it be a habit of some sort or, a, or sin, but finally, it could be an event. I think oftentimes events, circumstances, things that are outside of our control, things that happen to us, oftentimes cause us to label ourselves and to identify who we are as such. And so maybe, uh, maybe you're a cancer patient. Maybe you're a cancer survivor. And that's, that's who you are. Maybe you are a student, and that's how you see yourself. Maybe you are a divorcee, and that has been something that has been a label for you. Maybe you're divorced. I'm running out of room here, right there. Maybe you are an abuse victim of some kind, whether it be sexual abuse or physical abuse or maybe even verbal abuse, and it so scarred you that that's how you see yourself. You're abused. And that's the label that you have been given by the person who abused you. Maybe your label is that of fatherless. You grew up without a father, and that's who you are. You're a fatherless kid or an adult. Maybe you are a single mom, and that is the label that you have given yourself, or maybe that somebody else has given you, and that defines you. Or maybe you are a widow, or a, widow, or a, a widower, 
And that is the label that now defines who you are. There are many more. I've just suggested a few. But I think you can see the simple point is that oftentimes we label ourselves, things label us, other people label us, and they, these labels help us answer the question, who are we? How do we identify ourselves? Who really uh, are we at the core? How do you answer that question? What would you say? You have received a couple of these labels, and so I'm going to ask you to participate with me if you're willing. I want you to take out one of the labels right now. So grab your label, grab a pen or a pencil, something to write with, and if you're willing, if you're willing to write something down, maybe one or two words, one or two labels, how would you answer that question? Who are you? Try your best to be honest. Who are you? Who are you? Write one or two words down, and if you're willing, you can slap it on a piece of clothing. If if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Just keep it with you, because we're going to tackle it later. But how would you answer that question? What is your identity in? Where do you find your worth? How do you see yourself? Hopefully you've had a few minutes to a few seconds to write a few things down. Now, what I want you to do is just hold on to that. You can put it on if you want to, if you're bold. You can hold on to it. But I I want you to take a look at that. Look at what you've written. That is how you define yourself. That is, in a sense, your identity. That is how you've labeled yourself. This morning, what we're going to discover is that far more significant, hear me on this, far more significant than how you label yourself or how anybody else labels you, is how God labels you. Far more significant than any label that we might wear is the label that God gives us if we are a Christian. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is four truths, four identity-shaping truths that we can garner from this passage that help answer the question correctly, biblically. If you are a Christian, who are you? What is your identity? What we're going to discover is four truths, four things that happen to our identity to your identity if you are a Christian. The moment that you place your faith in Jesus, your identity is shifted, it's shaped, it's altered. And there are four truths that I want us to learn from this passage that I think can help us answer this question from God's perspective. Who are we? So let's take a look again at verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. The first truth that we see, the first thing that happens to us, to our identity, when we become Christians is this. Our old identity dies. If you're taking notes, jot that down. Our old identity dies. Verse 14 says this. I'll read it again. It should be up on the screen. Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Now this is kind of a tricky verse, so let me explain it the best that I can. In the context, Paul has been talking about in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians about his ministry to the Corinthian church. He's been talking about how he serves the church. He's been talking about how the way that he serves them, some people would say he's even out of his mind for sacrificially serving the church in such a way. So that's the context. And then in verse 14, he talks about his motivation. That is, why does he go out of his way? Why does he receive beatings? Why is he endangered? Why is he rejected? Why does he do everything that he does for the sake of this church in Corinth? Why does he do it? 
Well, well, he tells us in verse 14, he says, for Christ's love compels us. That is, this love that Christ has shown for him and for everyone else is what motivates Paul to live so radically, so sacrificially. It's because Jesus lived his life so radically and so sacrificially that notice, because we are convinced, he, he describes this love of Christ that compels him to sacrificial ministry because we are convinced that one speaking of Jesus, died for all. That is, Christ sacrificially laid down his life for everyone. So he's talking about the motive. He says, this is why I give myself. This is why I pour out my life for you. It's because I'm convinced that Jesus did just the same. He did just the same for everyone. So that's the context. But at the end of verse 14, Paul shifts shifts gears. He changes a little bit, and he's going to begin to talk about some of the effects of that sacrificial love. He's going to talk about some of the effects of when a person receives the sacrificial love that Christ did when he died for them. What happens when somebody receives that love? What happens when we become a Christian? What happens when we receive Christ. He's going to talk about some effects, and he lists the first effect of the person who receives this love for all that Christ did for us. It's at the tail end of verse 14. Notice it with me. What does it say? Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all, what church? What does it say? And therefore all, all died. All died. So what Paul is doing here is he's shifting gears. He talks about Christ's love and Christ's death, but then he shifts and he talks about the believer's death. He talks about Christian's death. And and we kind of scratch our head. What does he mean here that all died? Well, he's not talking about Jesus. Who's the all that he's talking about? Well, clearly from the context, as we'll see, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about me and you. If you've become a Christian, if you placed your life uh, in the hands of Jesus Christ and, and believed that he died for you and rose again, then something happened to you. Something spiritually happened to you. And he says, all, that is Christians, and therefore Christians died. So if Jesus died a physical death, there is a spiritual death that corresponds to Christ's physical death. It's a spiritual death of the Christian. Essentially what he's talking about is not only did Jesus die, but in a sense, in a spiritual sense, 2,000 plus years ago, the old man, the person that we used to be, our old identity, that which we used to live for and the person we used to be before we became Christians, died. And so not only did Jesus die on the cross, but in a spiritual sense, we died too. There was a death of me and you, if you're a Christian, that happened many, many, many years ago in the spiritual realm. And so not only did Christ die, but we died. Our old labels, our spiritual man, the old man, the Bible says, died a spiritual death. And so I want to read a few scriptures because I think it'll help us understand this, uh, the nature of this spiritual death. I think the text should be up on the screen. If it's not, just uh, listen closely. Uh, Galatians 2.20. Paul describes, there it is, the spiritual death. Notice, Paul says, I have been, what church? Crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. So when Christ was crucified, you were crucified. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. And so at the very beginning of this text, Paul wants us to know there's a spiritual death that happened. Who we used to be is dead and gone and hanging on the cross, and the life that he lives and the life that I live as a Christian, in some sense, I'm not the one living. But, but who is it then? Well, well, what does he say? But what? But 
Christ, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. And so this is what Paul is talking about. There is a spiritual death. Who we used to be, our old labels have died. Let's take a look again at at Colossians chapter three. We see a similar theme in in verses three and four. Paul says this in verse three, for you, what church? Died. For you died. Died. There was a spiritual death that happened when you became a Christian to your old man. For you died. And what's the consequence? What's what's the result? And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And we are so tied together with the life of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, a reference to the second coming to this earth, then you will also appear with him in glory. The idea is that our life, our spiritual life, is so tied up with Jesus Christ. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he was resurrected to new life, in a spiritual sense, we were resurrected to new life. And when he comes back in glory, when he appears in glory, so will we. If you want to read a little bit more on this concept, I challenge you to look at Romans chapter 6. It talks all about our union, our identification with Christ. One more text. I, I want to highlight the idea that the old labels are gone, the old person is gone, and the new has come. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Notice the language that Paul uses. <clears throat> he says in verse 9, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he lists some. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolater, nor the adulterer, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that is what some of you, what? Were. That is what some of you were. And I believe he's not only talking about in action, some of the people who are now Christians in the Corinthian church did some of these things. Not only did they do them, that's who they were. It's who their identity, that's what their identity was. That's what defined them. He says, that's what some of you were. But then he goes on, and there's a glorious truth. There's a but there, and it's a glorious but. But you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And the simple point that I want to make here is that Paul says, this is who you used to be. These were the old labels, and as we have labels on us, Paul says, if you became a Christian, and if Corinthians, if you were, became Christians, that's not who you are anymore. You were washed, that is, you were forgiven by the blood of Christ. You were sanctified, that means you were, you were set apart to Jesus Christ. He says you were justified, that means you were declared forgiven from past, present, and future sins, and it was all done because of Jesus, because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so the first truth that we see here is that our old labels, our old identity, our old man, who we used to be before we became Christians, is dead. That person, that man, that woman, is hanging on the cross of Christ. There's a wonderful story, and I'd like to share it with you. I may have shared it before, but that's okay. It's a good illustration. Uh, One of the great uh, historical figures of the faith is St. Augustine. Uh, He lived many, many years ago, and he came out of a life of gross immorality. Uh, If you read his Confessions, uh, it's a little book he wrote, you'll learn about all sorts of sin and gross immorality, um, uh, all sorts of things that he was involved in. He became a Christian. 
And his life began to change. And the story goes that he was in a city and he was walking down the street and one of his former lovers uh, approached him and, she's, and she, she kind of tapped him uh, on the back and she said, Augustine, Augustine. And she thought uh, he would be happy to see her so that they could go uh, get into all sorts of sexual sin. But instead, he ran as the story goes, he literally ran away from her, started to huff it the other way. Well, she, of course, was surprised. And so she called after him and she said, she said, Augustine, it is I. To which he famously responded, but it is not I. And what he says is that the old man, the old practice, the old person, the old identity is gone. So that's the first truth that we see, is that our old identity dies. But there's more than that. Look with me at verse 15. Not only does our old identity die, but we get a new person to live for. That's what we see in verse 15. Who we used to be died, and that old person lived for who? Ourselves. Our old man lived for ourselves. But when we lost that man, we got a new person to live for. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. And he died for all, speaking of Christ. And he died for all, that, that is, that's, the, the purpose, that's the result. What is the result that Jesus died for everyone and then we spiritually died with him? Well, he's gonna t- tell us a second effect. And he died for all that those who live, notice the change there, <clears throat> that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul gave us the old switcheroo, right? Because what happened? He says, Christ died for everyone. If you become a Christian, you also died. But then, magically, we're alive again. Implied in this text is a resurrection, is a resurrection from the dead. Our old man is gone, the new person has come. And he says, if we are then made alive from the dead spiritually and given new life, then we should no longer live for ourselves. What does that imply? It implies that before we became Christians, we lived for ourselves. It means that before we became Christians, our identity, our labels were wrapped up in living for ourself, our glory, our joy, our purpose, our plans instead of Jesus. We lived for ourselves before we became Christians. And Paul says, but, but that changed. When you became a Christian, then there was a fundamental uh, death of your old man, and you were given a new life, and that new life has a new person to live for. So instead of living for ourselves, we have a person to live for that's greater than ourselves, that we were made to live for, and that's our creator, Jesus. And so what this means on a practical sense is that when we are Christians, when we live for Jesus, and by extension, when we live for others, we are most in line with who we really are. We are most falling in line with God's design for our new person. And conversely, when we live for others, excuse me, when we live for ourselves, when we live selfishly, then we are working against our new design. We're actually working against this new creation that God has done. It doesn't fit the new design. I want to flesh this out for you the best that that I can, and so I want to share a couple illustrations with you. I was talking with my wife, and we were kind of fleshing this idea out, that before we became Christians, we lived for ourselves, and therefore we labeled ourselves in all sorts of different ways, and if we think about it, as we label ourselves in this way, then inevitably we begin to live for that label. So let me flesh that out for you. We begin to live for that label. So if I were to answer this question, uh, probably one of the, the ways that I would answer it is I would, I would write down pastor, 
That's what I would write down. Who, who are you, Trey? And I would write down pastor because it comes, it's my vocation. So like most men, we see ourselves in light of our vocation. Um, and so I would answer that way, to be honest. So how, how does that work? If I see myself as a pastor, uh, inevitably, what happens is I end up living for myself. And that sounds kind of weird because pastors aren't supposed to live for themselves, are they? No, they're supposed to live for Christ and God and you guys, right? That's who I'm supposed to live for. But if I label myself as a pastor, well, then what happens? Well, what happens is my wife can tell you Sunday after church, uh, almost inevitably, I say, hey, how was the sermon? And she'll give me feedback. And if it's, oh, it was a wonderful sermon and it touched my heart and it was, you're the best preacher ever. And I think, oh, thank you. I am the best pastor, right? It, it kind of puffs up my identity because that's how I see myself. And I'm like, great. And I'm living for myself. And if she says, well, you kind of missed that point and it was unclear when you said that and you said, uh, a lot of times. And I'm like, did I ask you, you know, what you, your opinion was? And she said, you ask me what? And you so, and that, you know, and so and then I get down on myself because I'm not being a good what? Pastor. And, and who then, at that point, when I'm depressed because I have a, a really bad sermon or because the attendance is, is really poor and I'm like, why are they not here? Is it because I'm a bad pastor? Is it because my music is bad? Or what, you know, you start thinking about those things. And let me ask you that. That's my identity as a, as a pastor. Who am I living for in that moment? Not for Christ, not for you. <laughs> I'm living for me because my identity is I'm a pastor. It, it, conversely, I was talking with my wife and I said, well, how does this work with you? And uh, she said, well, I would probably write mom. You know, that's, that's how she would put her little label down. It's, it's a mom. And I said, well, how does that work with you? And we just happened to have a good illustration that fit right into my sermon this week. And she allowed me uh, permission to, to share this with you, so I'll share it. Um, we have been having a difficult time getting our two kids to eat what my wife is cooking for dinner. Now, I'm sure that doesn't ever happen in your home, that you make something and the kids are like, what is this? I don't want to eat it. Oh, broccoli again? Or, or whatever, you know. And so, uh, you know, my wife labors and she, she makes the meals. And it seems like, in particular, during this week, she would put the meals in front of the kids and they just wouldn't eat them, you know? Either they didn't like it or they wouldn't eat it. And, and so she was getting fairly frustrated about that. Moms, I'm sure you've never been frustrated about those kind of things before. And, uh, and I... That's, that's right. You know, she should be frustrated about that. She's laboring. She's making dinner. And they're not appreciative. They're not eating. And then an hour later, they're asking for candies and crackers and all sorts of things, right? And so it's frustrating. But she made the comment, I think it was this past week, and she said, my kids, I cannot get my kids to eat. I must be a bad mom. Oh, boy. And, and at, into the male ears, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? You know, you're a great mom. You cook meals. They taste good. You're faithful. You know, you're, you're doing the Titus 2 thing and, and taking care of your family first. You're obeying God. You're, you're serving and cooking a meal with a, a good attitude. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're a great mother. And she says, well, I can't get my kids to eat. You know, I, they're not eating. So what's happening here? She is identifying herself primarily. She's labeling herself as a mom. And then when that fails, the avenue of cooking meals that the kids like, she says, well, I must be a, a, bad, a bad mother. And in that moment, she's not living to be the best Christian that she can be. She's living to be the best mom that she could be. So how does that work out in your neck of the woods? How does that work with your labels? I would guess as you begin to think about it this week, and I encourage you to do that, how do these labels 
move you towards living for yourself as opposed to towards living for Christ. Well, he says, we, we've seen a couple truths. Our, our, our old identity dies. We get a new person to live for other than ourselves. But then in, in verse 16, it doesn't just stay with us. We get a new perspective on how we see other people. It's not just seeing ourselves differently. It's seeing others differently, specifically other Christians differently. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, so, so it's a, d- 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 a deduction, right? So, if this is true, if the old man dies when we become a Christian and we get somebody new to live for, that's just not true of me. It's true of other Christians. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Your translation may say from a fleshly perspective or a, something to that effect. So we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. <clears throat> we do so no longer. So there are implications here. There are not only implications as to how we see ourselves and how we label ourselves, but what Paul basically says is don't use these labels on other Christians too. That's what he says. He says don't label yourself with these and don't label other Christians with these as well. And church, are we, are we guilty of doing that sometimes? Are you guilty of doing that sometimes? I'm sure to some degree we all are. John MacArthur in his commentary, I think he nails exactly what Paul means here. He says this. He says, for believers, that is Christians, all of our evaluations, all of our judgments, all of our assessments of people which were once simply in light, listen to this, of their physical appearance, their topical superficial behavior, their social orientation, their personality, that's not how we evaluate them anymore. That's what Paul is saying. We need to learn to not use labels on other Christians, not only on ourselves, but on other Christians. So do we do this? If somebody were to ask you, and I hope I use generic enough names here, who is Sally? She's in the church. Who's Sally? Oh, she's a stay-at-home mom. That's who she is. Who is Bill? Well, he's a truck driver. He drives for so-and-so company. Who is, who is Alex? Oh, you know Alex. Man, he can't stay away from the bottle. He's an alcoholic. That's who he is. Well, well, who is Max? Oh, Max. You should get to know Max. He's very wealthy. He has a successful business here in Cisna Park. You should get to know him. He's, he's, he's a wealthy business owner. That's who he is. And in a sense, all of those things are, are, are true in the sense of behavior and activity. But Paul says, listen, we need to learn to think in categories deeper than labels. We need to see people as Christian or unchristian. We need to learn to see them as we're beginning to see ourselves, as the old person is dead, we have someone new to live for, and as we're going to see in a bit, we ourselves have a new identity. So how does this work? Let me just try to flesh it out the best I can. So instead of, number one, instead of seeing our spouse and labeling him as an angry father, that's who he is. He's angry. He's an angry dad. That's maybe how you define him. Instead, maybe we see him as a Christian. He's a Christian. His old man is dead. He has a new person to live for, but he struggles with anger. There's pent-up frustration. There's pain in his past. He doesn't know how to get past it, and so it expresses itself in anger towards you and your kids, and it's not right, and you don't sweep it under the rug, but how do you see him? How do you see him? Is he just an angry father, or is he a Christian who is working on that and has yet to have mastery over that? 
What about the talker? We all know the talker. Maybe they're in your life group. Maybe they're just in your circle of friends. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're in your Sunday school class. They're, they're, they're talkers, and, and we just kind of think, man, they're pushy. They talk all the time, and that's how you label them. But maybe we need to see them differently. Maybe we need to see them as, well, you know, they're a Christian. Their old man is dead, and they have someone new that they're trying to live for. But you know what? They just deeply need connection. They desperately need to be heard. They need somebody to talk to. They need a friend, and they're a Christian. What about this person, the the quiet lady or the quiet person in your Bible study? We label them as shy. Oftentimes, we can label them as unengaged because we don't hear from them. They don't say much. They don't talk much in your small group or even in conversation. And so we label them as, well, they're just shy. They're quiet, right? And in a sense, they are, but maybe we need to think differently. Maybe we need to see them as, you know, they're a Christian, and their old man is dead, and they have a new person to live for, but man, they are working through some insecurities. They have a deep fear of rejection, as people who are shy and quiet often do. And we need to see them as such and help them along. And so we've seen three points, hopefully three identity-shaping points. Our old man is dead. We get a new person to live for. We need to see others with a new perspective. And then Paul culminates his uh, argument here, I think, in verse 17. And he says, not only is the old man dead, we have a new person to live for, but we ourselves have a new identity. And that's our fourth point. We get a new identity. And it's an utterly Christ-centered, Christ-saturated, Christ-focused identity. Notice what he says in verse 17. Therefore, so this is his culmination of everything he said. Therefore, if anyone anyone, (laughs) if anyone, if they're popular, if they're dyslexic, if they're a rebel, if they're a farmer, if they're a student, if they're stupid, whatever label they have, if anyone is in Christ, then what's true? If they've become a Christian, if they've been united with the life of Christ, what is true of them? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, The old has gone, and the new is here. There's so much that could be said here, but for time's sake, what I want to do is this. I want to focus you towards a little phrase, and it's the phrase, in Christ. Notice, if anyone is in Christ. If you're familiar with the writings of Paul, if you read through the New Testament, you'll find this little phrase scattered throughout his writings. And Paul uses this this phrase of the believer being in or into Christ Uh, to describe the believer's relationship with Christ. More specifically, to define the believer's union with Christ, our being united with Christ in everything that he does. And so, for instance, in Romans 6, we find that when Jesus died, we died. And when he was buried, our old man was buried. When he was resurrected, we uh, were also resurrected with him. We are united with him so that what he has done and experienced, in a sense, we have in in, in a spiritual way. It talks about our new identity. It talks about the new label that we can receive. It talks about now, first and foremost, this is the point of the whole sermon, so don't miss it. It means that now, first and foremost, we see ourselves as Christians. That's what it means. First and foremost, our label, our identity, our personhood is wrapped up and bound together with Jesus Christ. Our purpose is from him. Our significance is found in him. Our personhood is derived from him. Who are you? Who are you? 
If you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you've believed in his death for your sins, if you've believed that he was resurrected from the dead to give you new life, then you are a Christian. It's who you are. John MacArthur says it this way, the old ideas, the old values, the old plans, the old loves, the old passions, the old desires, and the old principles, and the old beliefs are gone. God has planted new desires, new loves, new inclinations, new appetites, new truths, and new values in the person who is in Christ. So who are you? Who are you, Christian? That's who you are. You are a Christian. We've seen four things about our identity today. The old man is dead. We get a new person to live for. We get a new perspective on others, and we get a new identity and so to wrap up our sermon, what I'm going to ask you to do is this. Take a look at your labels. Hopefully you still have them with you. Take a look at those labels. Just ponder them for a minute. And I'm going to ask you again, who are you? Who defines you? And if you're a Christian this morning, then you have the great privilege of doing what I'm going to do. You get to take the labels off one by one, however many there are. You get to take them off and you get to get a new label. And so what I want you to do now is take the second label and with the same pen or writing utensil, write the word Christian because that's who you are. And so write on your second label the word Christian. And what I want you to do is if you're wearing the label, then put the word Christian over it. If not, go ahead and, and put the label on top of the old one signifying that our old labels, our old identities are gone. We are no longer any of these things, although we may participate in some of those activities. Who are we fundamentally? We're Christians. We're Christians. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for these men and women and children and young people who have gathered. Father, we want to believe most significantly that our labels don't matter, that how we have defined ourselves and how we see ourselves and how other people have labeled us certainly do not matter as much as how you label us. Uh, Father, how we are, see ourselves does not matter at all uh, because all we need to know is how you see us and who you call us to be. And it has utter meaning, it has utter significance because we are no longer. Uh, outside of Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but we have been given a radically new identity that is Christ-centered, Christ-saturated, and that we live for him. That's who we are. We're Christians. And so, Father, we are Christian moms. We are Christian dads. We are Christian farmers. We are Christian pastors. We are Christian cablemen. We are Christian uh, people who are skinny or overweight. We are Christian people who are dyslexic, who, are, uh, who may be stupid or smart. But regardless of these labels and the realities in our life, first and fundamentally and foremost, we are yours. And we are your sons. And we thank you for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.